name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Imagine you work at a doctor's office, and, and not just any doctor's office, but the office of the doctor who's the greatest doctor in the world, the doctor who can cure any disease that anyone has that comes into his room, diseases that no one else can cure, sicknesses that no one else can relieve. He's able to fix them all. So, and your job is you're there to bring people uh, into his office, to, to bring people, to check them in and, and bring them in to see the doctor. So one day a guy comes in and he looks at you and, and he kind of stares at you and he goes, well, who, who are you? And, and you go, oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not the doctor. And he goes, oh, okay, well, but like you're, you're wearing a lab coat there, so, and, and, and I see you got the clipboard and you got like a stethoscope around your neck, so like what, what are you, like a nurse practitioner? And you go, no. And he goes through about four or five other options. And that, and just starts complaining about, well, look, well, if you're not the doctor, I don't, why are you walking around looking like a doctor? It's confusing for people. I, I'm, I don't know what's going on here. And after a bit, you just look at him and you go, hey, remember how you're dying? Remember how you've come here because this is the only place on earth you can come to not die? Why don't you stop worrying about who I am? Because I'm nobody. I'm just the voice that tells you which room to walk into where you can find the medicine that will give you life. So why don't you stop worrying about me, stop worrying about the voice, and go to the doctor. Go to the medicine. You can probably see where I'm going with all of this, but this is, of course, in a sense, what the priests and Levites are doing to John the Baptist in our Gospel reading for today. So John has the right look for them. He's got the right pedigree, right? So John appears on the scene and he's living out in the wilderness and he's clothed in camel's hair and a leather belt. This is all like the prophet Elijah, right? This is, this is stuff that's accompanying the arrival of the Messiah. John looks the part. And especially for the priests and Levites, they likely know who John is because John's father, Zechariah, is of the priestly clan, right? If you remember your Bible, if you remember the nativity stories, he's burning incense before the Lord when the angel Gabriel appears to him to tell him that Elizabeth is going to conceive and bear a son. So you've got this big deal where, hey, you've got this old barren woman who's conceiving a child at, at the Lord's command, right? So that they probably know who John is. They probably heard the stories surrounding his conception and birth. This is big time stuff. This is exciting. So they come to him and they go, hey, uh, who are you? And John goes, no, 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 I know what you're thinking. I'm not the Christ. And they go, all right, well, but like you're dressed like the Christ and you're doing the Christ-like stuff and you're doing the baptism, you're holding the clipboard, you're wearing the lab coat. Well, what's going on here? And John just says to them, no, I'm not the prophet. No, I'm not Elijah, right? So there's a sense in which he's Elijah, which Jesus tells us elsewhere in the Gospels. But John tells them, no, I'm not Elijah, because it's not what you're thinking, right? They say, are you the prophet, this figure that, that Moses spoke of? They think this is a reference to someone that's not the Christ, but is, in fact, a reference to the arrival of the Christ. And John just says, no. He says, look, there's no point in me correcting your misconceptions here. That's all beside the point. The point is, remember how you're dying? Remember how it is that you guys are sinners who have no ability to take your sins away. You remember how it is that the signs of your sin are all around you? How the Temple of Solomon was destroyed and you have a kind of pale imitation left here? You remember how it is that the line of David is no longer sitting upon his throne? How you're ruled by foreigners? 
Look at yourself. You are covered in sin that you can't wash off of yourself. Why don't you stop worrying about who I am and listen to the voice in the wilderness making straight the way of the Lord, pointing you to the one who's about to arrive, this great physician who can do what no other doctor can do, who can heal you of your sin and give you eternal life. Stop looking to me, the voice, and start looking to him, the word made flesh, the medicine come into this world. There's, of course, a sense in which we often treat the church the way that the priests and the Levites are treating John the Baptist in our gospel text for today. This is, I think, especially the case in 21st century Christian suburbia, where there's a multitude of options for where people can, can gather for worship. We have these sort of strange standards that we place upon the church that are all very much kind of John the Baptist related and not actually Jesus related. So if you ever talk with people about the church that they go to, the church that they used to go to, you'll, you'll hear this kind of all the time. This strange thing of, oh yeah, you know, we used to go to this church over here and we really liked the pastor there, right? He looked at the party, had the pedigree, we, we felt comfortable with him. But then he left, and, and we never quite connected with the new guy. So we, we just moved on to this church over here at that point. All right, this is the story of, of American Christian suburban, uh, the American Christian suburban world. And people tell you, ah, you know, that pastor preaches too long, or he doesn't preach long enough. The, that organist plays too slow, or plays too fast, plays too quiet, plays too loud. The people, they don't bow at the spot where I thought they were going to bow, or they do bow at the spot where I thought they were going to bow. I don't know what to make any sense of that. So we just kind of moved on, right? People will tell you, you hear this all the time, right? It's the silliest complaint. Well, we visited this church that we've never been to before, and can you believe that a bunch of strangers who didn't know us didn't immediately know the exact right amount of attention to show to us. Oh, these people weren't friendly. They were too friendly. They were too stifling. They weren't friendly enough. They didn't know the magical amount of words to say to people that they had never met before. You know, you know, the, church is too, uh, the church is too outward focused. They're, they're too obsessed with programs and not with attending to the needs of their own people. Oh, the church is too inward focused. They're too, too worried about their own people and not concerned with the rest of the world uh, outside of them. The hymns are too hard to sing. The hymns are too easy to sing. Just eight million little things. And in all of this, it's like people looking at John the Baptist going, well, look, look are you wearing the right clothes? Why are you wearing this if you're, not, if you're supposed to be doing this over here, well, what's going on? Who are you supposed to be? This is, spiritually speaking, a bad way to conduct ourselves. But ultimately, what happens if we sort of keep up a steady diet of this? Well, you can either be someone who just sticks it out and complains nonstop, at least in your heart, about the things that are going on at your church, all pretty inessential things. Or you can be what's probably kind of become more so the case with the more present generation or with the, with the younger generation now, which is that you just drift. The second that things become displeasing to you, you just kind of drift and drift and drift away until you're entirely separated from the Word. So either you can show up on Sunday morning and not focus on the Word at all, or you can not show up and have the same result. So in all of this, these words of John the Baptist are words that we need to hear. 
when we find ourselves just grilling congregations over things, treating them as though they are the word rather than the voice, as though they're the doctor rather than the person who's just bringing you to the doctor. Uh, these words of John the Baptist are words that we desperately need to hear. Because in these words, John is looking at us and saying, hey, remember how you're dying? Remember how you have a disease within your bones and in your blood called sin that you can't get rid of? That all of your best efforts to heal yourself, to cure yourself, to restore yourself have all been miserable failures. You see how it is that your life has fallen apart? because you keep returning to the sins that you hate over and over again? You see how it is that you have just piled up condemnation upon condemnation? Why don't you stop worrying about your congregation being perfect? And why don't you listen to the voice of your congregation as it points you to the Savior, to the doctor, to the one who has come to heal you, to the Word made flesh? arriving to give you peace. So follow that voice of John. Follow that voice of John to the word of Jesus, to the word of the Lord, to the word made flesh, come into this world to give you eternal life. So once you were unworthy of the presence of God, once you were everything that you treated the church as, but even more so. Once you weren't dressed the part as you were clothed in the filth of your sins. Once you didn't have the right pedigree, you had no right to be holding that clipboard, right? You, had, uh, you, had, you were fatherless, you were hopeless outside of God's kingdom. You didn't look the part, you weren't born for the part. But then, out of love, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Son of God was born of the Virgin Mary to carry out the task that He was always going to carry out from before the foundation of the world that He was planning on carrying out. The one that He had been joyously waiting to complete. The task of healing you and making you His own forever. So that Word made flesh, took upon himself your sin. At the cross, as he was stripped of his clothing, as he was stripped of his honor and his dignity, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, clothed himself in the garment of your sins. An even more uncomfortable garment than camel's hair in the desert, in the hot desert, hope of piercing into your flesh as your pores open, Jesus Christ put on the garment of your disease, the garment of your iniquities, that pierced into his hands and his feet, covered his head as a crown of thorns, pierced into his flesh. Every act of your self-righteousness, all your disinterest in salvation. In his mercy, Jesus Christ took all of that filth and he made it the garment that he wore, claiming it as his own. And with that same cross, that same blood, he clothed you in his perfection, in his holiness, 
is purity. <coughs> With the same cross, Jesus wrapped you in the garment that you needed to inherit eternal life. He wrapped you in the garment that you needed in order to enter the doctor's office, to be worthy of standing in the presence of God forever. He wrapped you in his righteousness, his flawless obedience to the commandments, his bright, shining perfection. That's the garment that he wove for you out of his own blood. The garment he gave you the right to wear forever in his resurrection. The garment that he himself placed upon your flesh in the waters of your baptism when you were washed clean in the triune name. And with that same cross, that same empty tomb, that same baptism, Jesus took you from having no pedigree, from not being like John the Baptist, from not being like him, from being a loner, a worthless, forgotten orphan. He took you from that status, and he gave you the greatest pedigree of all. He made you a child of God. He took a fatherless, orphan sinner and made you into a righteous saint, a child of the Most High God and his own very own brother. The Word became flesh and dwelt among you. He died for you, rose for you, and made you his own. The Word became flesh, and using the ink from his veins, he wrote your name onto the, back, the adoption certificate, gathered you into his Father's arms, and made you an eternal child of his kingdom. That's the medicine that's taking place in the office of the great physician. This great physician named Jesus Christ who reached his nail-pierced hands into your flesh and your soul and pulled out every cell of disease. With those same hands, he pumped into your veins the very medicine of immortality, eternal healing, the eternal favor and love of God. And today he invites you to kneel at this altar and to receive that medicine again through his very flesh and blood, through the sacrament of the altar. So come receive that gift of healing from the only doctor who could give it. And do it joyfully no matter the circumstances. Look, if God requires you to endure mildly unpleasant things in the church, endure them. Now, on the one hand, obviously, the church should endeavor to take all mildly unpleasant things out of people's way. Keep your building clean. Keep your bathrooms smelling nice. Uh, sing well. Be friendly to people. For pastors, don't talk weird. I don't know why so many guys get up into the pulpit and just sound like they're performing Shakespeare's soliloquies all of a sudden, and that's not how they talk, right? Get out of our own way. But at the same time, if these are the things that God requires you to endure, endure them joyfully. Endure the failings of your pastor and your fellow sheep. Endure them with patience and grace. And do this because you don't need perfection from the voice when you already have perfection from the word. 
You don't need perfection from the person checking you into the doctor's office when the doctor has already declared to you that he has healed you and will heal you eternally. And even if God requires profoundly unpleasant things of you to run to the Word, you should do it. If God requires you to travel a whole ten miles to church, you should do so, praising his name every foot of the journey. If God requires you to travel a hundred, you should do likewise. If God requires you to crawl across broken glass in order to hear his word, in order to receive him, do it. Do it because the word that you will find there will always heal you and he will always call you his own.